So we're beginning a new series uh, this evening. It's a general introduction. Uh, this week we're looking at general things. Next week we'll be looking at elders. And then the week after, new information, uh, we will be looking uh, at deacons, which is one of the things that we'll be talking about as a church. Church members will be uh, making decisions about in October. Um, so this will be fitting into that. If you've got questions as we go through the series, you can either talk to me or one of the other elders, or uh, there is a tearaway slip uh, on the bottom of uh, your uh, sheets on your table if you wanted to take notes. Um, and you can fill those in, put it in the blue uh, slips box over there, and we'll answer it uh, from the front. So there's the opportunity to sort of ask questions. I know this is an area, like I say, where we can get into all sorts of uh, discussions, so we're going to try and go through that way. We'll spend the bulk of our time this evening in the book of Acts, uh, since the book of Acts gives us what the early church practice was. But as we come to the book of Acts, it's worth noting that we can take it one of two ways, the book of Acts. Some people see Acts as merely a description of the early church. So the Lord, through Luke, isn't saying how things should be, but simply how they were. And I think there's some truth to that. Nobody suggests that we should behave like Ananias and Sapphira, who end up getting themselves killed. Nor do many people seriously suggest that we should sort of share all our possessions uh, as a church and have sort of a communal pot. Some people, though, see Acts not as a description, but a prescription of what the church should be. Many movements have started essentially as a let's get back to Acts movement. It's different elements for different groups. So it might be that the group thinks, right, we should have apostles, or prophets, or miracles, or house groups, uh, sorry, house churches. All those things sort of saying, look, they're there in the book of Acts, so we should have them now. So which is it? Well, I'm going to, um, uh, after, uh, well, what I'm going to do this evening is, is show you my way of thinking about these sorts of things. Uh, is it one, is it the other? Well, it's sort of a bit of the both, isn't it? What we're going to see this evening in the, the early church, they have variable practice, but enduring principles. And that means for us, there's various possibilities. So let's take those in turn. First of all, variable practice. In the book of Acts, we find various ways of doing things. So I'm going to jump about a little bit through Acts, so you might find it helpful to have a Bible open. But take a simple question like, when and where did Christians meet? Well, in Acts chapter 2 that we had read before, in verses 6 and 7, it says this, And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. How often did they meet? Well, they met every day in that passage, not just Sunday, daily. Where did they meet? Well, they met there in the temple and in one another's homes to break bread, either communion or more likely just sharing meals together. So that's one passage, okay? Every day in the temple and in homes. Okay, how about another passage? Acts chapter 5, verses 41 to 42. says, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the price. Again, it would seem that they met daily. And again, we get the temple and houses being listed. There they were preaching, 
But with the other passage, we can see that that was actually them gathering together to hear preaching. Okay, what about later in Acts? In Trias, in Greece, no temple there. Acts chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. So here we have a group of Christians meeting together. They were meeting together to break bread on a Sunday night. There were probably no Sunday morning meetings at this point, because actually Sunday would have been a working day. So think Monday for us, if we have a meeting on a Monday night after work. So they meet afterwards, and um, uh, their day off, if they had one in those times, would have been a Saturday, uh, the last day of the week, the Sabbath for them. And interestingly, we find out they don't even eat until afterwards. So they have their meeting first, Paul goes on till midnight, and then they start eating uh, afterwards. This can't have been a weekly occurrence, that would be very strange, wouldn't it? If they were eating in the early hours of the morning and then getting up for work uh, the next day. If it was, then we need to rethink Sunday evenings and start them a bit later, so keep going and not eat until about 2 o'clock in the morning. How's that sound? <laughs> Don't worry, we're not going to go on. <laughs> so that's, we're going to have some soup uh, before that. Where did they meet in Troas? Well, they met in the upper room of someone's house. It tells you that it was somewhere with lots of lamps. I'd imagine because it's late at night, that was quite helpful for them to be able uh, to see. Okay, what about a different area? What about an area with a lot of Jews? Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 14 uh, to 15, and then 44. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogues and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And then down to verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. This would seem to be their, their meeting here. There was no inviting them somewhere else, away from the synagogue, to hear the word. They had to wait until next Saturday. So time and place. Well, here was Saturday in the synagogue. And we see that elsewhere. So Acts 17, verse 2. And Paul went in, and he, as was his custom, on the three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Acts chapter 18, verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now we have to take into account that this is part of Paul's evangelistic strategy. But even here, there's variability. In Philippi, where there's no synagogue, he goes to the river. So Acts chapter 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gates to the riverside where we supposed there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And in Ephesus, when the Jews cast him out of the synagogue, he moves next door and meets with the disciples every day. So Acts chapter 19, verse 9. And when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So even within the book of Acts, there is variability in practice. And we see the same mixture elsewhere in the New Testament. So in Corinth, they seem to meet on a Sunday. 
Or at least that's when they're supposed to put aside their financial gifts. That's what we find in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. The author of Hebrews, though, seems to uh, assume that there's some sort of daily meeting of believers. Because in Hebrews 3.13, he calls us to exhort one another every day, daily. There's a meeting of believers. In context, that might be what he's referring to when he writes the famous Hebrews 10.25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In the context of Hebrews, that's more likely between the meetings, the weekly meetings that he's talking about, that we're to encourage one another, because that's what we're to do daily in chapter 3. So I'm not here arguing for daily church meetings. I'm not arguing for swapping uh, to a Saturday or meeting really late on a Sunday night. But what I want to show you is that it's tough, even when we talk about going back to the book of Acts to say, right, we'll do it exactly as they did it. That's a tough task, because actually even in the book of Acts, the situation is variable. But does that mean that it's a free-for-all? Does it just mean we can just make it up? Well, no. Secondly, there are enduring principles. Enduring principles. When we say that there are various practices in the book of Acts, there are normally unvarying principles behind them. Luke highlights them as we go through the book, usually in summary sections. Uh, Here's the famous one we had read earlier, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now Luke is telling us this for a reason. He's putting it there for us. It's not really the story... But it's telling us what was happening in the church about the progress of the gospel. That said, there is a danger of taking these summaries and making them an exhaustive plan of church meetings or church life. If we just took Acts chapter 2 verse 42, then our church meetings would have firstly no Old Testament, because it's talking about the apostles' teaching. Some functionally don't, but that's not a good thing. Secondly, we'd have no singing. Not something perhaps that we devote ourselves to perhaps, but it's present in early church, from prison cells to church meetings. We wouldn't have any news yet. And we've seen recently, haven't we, it's been looked at at various different things, that news is shared in the church, it's shared from the front, but there's no mention of it here. The Bible also speaks of other things that Christians are to be devoted to. So for example, we're to be devoted to good works in Titus 3.8 and 3.14. So what we've got in Acts 2 is a helpful list, but it's not everything. What it does do is lay down some of the main principles. That's why Luke has recorded it for us in the book of Acts. In any and every church, these things will be present. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. If those basic elements, if those basic principles are not there, then we've got a problem. In fact, uh, if there's not a sense in which the church is devoted to these things, then there's a problem. And remember here that the church is the believers. It's not saying that it's just the leaders who are devoted to these things, it's everybody in the church are devoted to these things. So first we see the apostles' teaching. For them, it literally would have been the apostles then and there, wouldn't it? Imagine the preaching roster in Jerusalem. That would have been great, wouldn't it? 
The Apostle Peter this week, the Apostle John next week. Wow, that would have been amazing. Though as we see, they're actually meeting daily. So we thought, oh, Peter today, John tomorrow, Andrew the day after. The principle, though, is it's what they were teaching that is central. The Bible, as understood through the Apostles' teaching, is something that the church should be devoted to. Not just paid lip service to, as though it's alright as long as we open a Bible. No, actually, it's something that we're to be devoted to, what the Apostles taught. The second thing we see is fellowship. Now, that is that partnership word that we met a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning. A sharing of something in common, a co-ownership. In Jerusalem, here at this time, that was expressed in sharing, having in common literally everything. People would sell properties and possessions, and the money would go into a central pot, and then it would go out to people in need. And that is one expression of fellowship. The principle, though, is that united cause, that partnership in the gospel. The surrendering of ourselves and our lives and our possessions for the common cause, the gospel. Not that we have to go and sell them, but that now we use them for the good of our brothers and sisters. Our homes, our time, our money, our resources. They're going to partnering with one another, into helping one another. Next, the breaking of bread. Not necessarily communion, though that's one way to see it. John Calvin, a famous French reformer, wrote in his commentary, For whereas some think here the breaking of bread means the Holy Supper, it seems to me that Luke meant no such thing. He indicates therefore to us that they used to eat together, and they did it frugally. That was an interesting comment. For those who make sumptuous banquets do not eat their meals, meals together so familiar, familiarly. So he's saying, because they did it every day, it's not that we've all got to prepare banquets for each other, but it's they just they got on with living together, that they shared meals together. Frugal meals, that serves well in Yorkshire, doesn't it? <laughs> That's one of the reasons I like Sunday evenings so much. That's what we do, isn't it? We share a meal together. We do it on a smaller scale, if you like, than the early church, and for us it's once a week, but it's still that same sort of idea. We all sort of chip in, everyone does their bit, and we enjoy a meal together. And that sharing of a meal together was an expression of the unity and love that they had for one another. That's partly why Jew and Gentile didn't eat together in the old world. They hated one another. The gospel brought that to an end in the church, and now they would gather to eat together. On the other hand, you could take it as communion. C.H. Spurgeon took it as communion. Um, But communion at this point would have been a meal. Certainly in Corinth, there was enough wine for people to get drunk. And enough bread there for some to have their fill. Also, there was returning up expecting a meal and going hungry. These sorts of issues have scaled it down to what we sort of have today to avoid those sorts of issues. And they were devoted to these things. They were devoted to one another. And then finally, prayer. Prayer was something that they were devoted to. And I think we, we know what that means, don't we? It's just hard. But it was something that the early church devoted themselves to. So there are the various principles that we have to work to. So rather than just looking at the specific practice, we need to think through them. What does that mean for us now? And the final point is that it leads to various possibilities. As we begin this short series on the shape of the early church, especially thinking about the way churches are governed, it's worth noting because the principles are enduring, but the practice even then was variable, 
that should mean that we end up with various possibilities. Now, I don't mean for a second to say that all possibilities are equal. Nor am I saying there are no wrong options as we consider these things. What I am saying here is that there are various models that fit the principles that we see. One of the reasons that we have these various models is that there are different ways to work it out in different periods of time, different places. One of the reasons I think we have a lot of variation is that there are various ways of doing it. So if we wanted, for example, we could meet every day. We could decide as a church that is what we want to do. I don't think that would work so well in our setting with jobs and all those sorts of things, but it wouldn't be wrong to choose to do that. We could decide to sell all our belongings and start a sort of communal pot of money that we share. It would not be wrong to do so, but nor is it wrong not to do so, because it's not the principle that's behind it. So we need to embrace the flexibility and freedom that the Bible affords us in certain areas, so that we can adapt to our culture setting and circumstance. However, we need to be immovable on the principles that underlie those things. Let me give you some examples. Prayers. It's a big debate, isn't there? Should they be scripted or should they be unscripted? Well, here you go, I'm going to set it for you. I think you can do either. If you're doing it for the glory of God, you can do either. What we can't do is ditch prayer. In fact, like I say, we're to, we're to devote ourselves to prayer. We need to think through what that means as a church. We, what we can't do is ignore what the Bible says about prayer and start praying to saints rather than God. Or replace it with silence, which is quite trendy these days. I don't mean silent prayer, that's fine. You know, praying in your head. I mean, the, the, nowadays people say, oh, just sit in silence and don't think of anything. We're not free to replace it with that. Or think about the Apostles' teaching. We can devote ourselves to the Apostles' teaching in group Bible study. We can devote ourselves to it in preaching. We can devote ourselves to it in private study. But what we can't do is just devote ourselves to part of it. We can't put ourselves above the Apostles' teaching and say, I'm going to devote myself to this bit, but not that bit. So do you see that there are various possibilities of working out these principles? What we need to do is what aligns with what we find in Scripture. And that's what we'll be doing with the next two talks. What does the Bible say about leadership in church? Or what does the Bible say about servanthood in church? But for now, let's celebrate the freedom that God has given us in those areas, but remain steadfast to the principles that God has laid down in his word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the freedom that you've given us. Father, thank you that there are different ways of doing things. Uh, Father, that we can do. But Father, thank you that it's not up to us to decide what the principles that lie behind those things are. Father, thank you that you've made things clear in your word and you've shown us how you want us to, to live and to act together as a church. Father, we pray over the coming weeks you guide us as we look into your word. Father, pray that we would make decisions that honour you and have discussions that honour you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.